interceding for him out in the battle, calls um, Uriah to come, and he's like, I want you to give me a report on the battle. That was the disguise. Give me a report on the battle. And so he gave the report, and he said to Uriah, I want you to go to your house tonight, you know, enjoy your wife, you know, get some good food and drink, and then go back. Well, he discovered the next morning that Uriah did not do that. He stayed outside the king's uh, palace there. He, he, he laid there, and he said, and when David went and asked him, why did you not go to your house? He's like, how can I? When my comrades are out there fighting the battle, living in tents, how can I go to my house? And so David's like, oh, plan was, was foiled. What else can I do? So he asked him to stay one more night, and that night he got Uriah drunk. He thought, surely Uriah in a drunken stupor is going to go back and lie with his wife. Well, that didn't happen. Uriah, Uriah's integrity was apparently so deep that even when his judgment was clouded, he did not make that decision to go and lay, lay with his wife. And so when David realized that, that his sin was not going to be able to be covered because he was hoping Uriah lies with his wife, it comes out that she's pregnant, Uriah thinks that it's his child and, you know, all is well. Well, that didn't happen. So David sent word back to the battle, uh, to the captain of the battle, and said, I want you to, when you're in the heat of the battle, put Uriah in the worst part of the battle, and at the right moment, pull your troops so that he dies. And that's exactly what happened. So now, in addition to David being uh, guilty of lusting, of acting on that lust, of having sex with somebody else's wife, of all that, now he adds murder to it. And he thought he got away with it because a period of time went by before, and God it says here, it says in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that this thing displeased the Lord. And God gave him time to commit or to confess his sin, to bring this to the Lord, but David did nothing with it. And so in chapter 12 of 2 Samuel, Nathan the prophet comes to David and he, now imagine this, imagine Nathan the prophet coming to David and the situation, imagine in our days, somebody is told by God to go and confront our president on a major sin that he is hiding. You know, okay, so even though, you know, we're in a democracy here and uh, you, let's say it's you, you need to go and you need to confront Donald Trump, President Trump, about a sin that he's committed. Imagine how nervous you'd be. Well, you know, this is, wasn't a democracy here. This was the king, right? And so Nathan, when he met with the king, he said, you know, King David, there was this traveler that came through, and he stopped, and he met, he stopped at this man's house. This man wanted to feed the traveler, and this man, he had plenty of sheep, but instead of taking one of his own sheep, he took from another man's sheep, and, and this other man only had one sheep, and he actually loved this sheep so much that he treated the sheep like a daughter. That's how much he loved the sheep. But this man came, he took this one and only sheep from this other man, slayed it, fed this traveler, and this infuriated King David to think that something like this was going to happen, or was happening in his kingdom. And David said, whoever that was, he's going to die. And Nathan, and I just... Have you ever seen the Jim Carrey version of A Christmas Carol? 
You know, okay, you know, the, the ghost of Christmas future yet to come, you know, that long bony finger, this is how I picture it in my mind, this long bony finger come out of Nathan saying, thou art the man. And David knew at that moment that he was busted. Now, we're going to see in Psalm 51 that uh, he didn't go that period of time without thinking about it. It weighed heavily on him, but he thought he got away with it until Nathan says, thou art the man. And what did David do? David confessed his sin. He, he, he confessed it. And Nathan said something that is, is pretty outrageous, I think. The Lord has... Huh, I click it once and it goes twice. The Lord has put away your sin. The Lord has put away your sin. This morning during... Uh, I sat in on your Sunday school hour talking about capital punishment. And when is it right to... Uh, to put somebody to death, and the fact that the, the crime must meet the punishment. Well, there is no doubt that what David here did was definitely worthy of being put to death. But what Nathan said on behalf of God was, was that, the Lord has put away your sin. Now, the reason I, I say that's outrageous is, imagine that here in Whitehall, that there was a man that went into somebody's house, raped the woman... The husband came home in the midst of it. This guy gets up, and he kills her husband, and he leaves. The cops finally catch this guy, brings him in front of the court system, and at the end of the process, the judge says, I forgive you, you go free. Can you imagine the outrage that would be here in the community of people saying, this guy shouldn't go free. He committed this sin. He committed this crime that's a, you know, it's, it's worthy of death. But for some reason here, God says, you're forgiven. Now, let's think of what else God did. Um, imagine, imagine with me another story that uh, a man's son is killed by, a, by an individual. And that son's father, the man, looks at the murderer and says, I forgive you. And that's exactly what God did for us when we as humankind killed Jesus Christ on the cross. So it's not unlike God to forgive sin. And it's, 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 it's pretty outrageous, isn't it, when you really think about that, that God does forgive us. Well, that takes us to Psalm 51. And so let's look at David's prayer in Psalm 51. And I want to pull out some things here on what, what to do with my sin. And let's look at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the, multi the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. You can see in this verse here that the word mercy appears twice. Has anybody ever played the game mercy when you were a kid? Yeah? You guys know what I'm talking about? Some, some of you may not know what I'm talking about. Uh, the game mercy is, uh, in fact, I should, I should have somebody come up here and play with me. Play mercy with me, but uh, I'm afraid I'll get hurt. <laughs> Who? Pastor Toby. All right, Toby, come on up here. <laughs> they want to see you and my, you and I do mercy. No, I'm serious. All right. So the way mercy works is we we interlock fingers, right? And it's it's up to me to take you down, and it's up to you to take me down, right? So let's just right, let's yeah. just kind of play this through here. Now, okay. So we're gonna mercy. You're not. You're mercy. Okay. So so. 
So take take me down, all right? Just take me down. I'm not gonna take you all down. Right. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. And I say, uh. I say, I say what? What do I say? Mercy. And what's his obligation? Let go. To let go. Thank you. <laughs> In the same way, when when we cry mercy to God, he's obligated by his own word, by his own promise, to show mercy. You know, that, that game mercy is really a, a great portrayal of the mercy that God shows us. So the first thing that we need to do is cry mercy. God, I've sinned. Mercy. See, you see, David knew that there's guilty people that are forgiven, and there's guilty people that aren't forgiven. And David was trying to be in that second category of guilty people that fall in the mercy of God and experience forgiveness. The second thing is ask for cleansing. Let's look at verse 2 and 7. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's like that stain that I showed at the beginning that you just can't seem to remove. And it says here in verse 7, purge me with hyssop. Did you see that? Well, this is something that we don't have in our culture, but in the Jewish culture, the Jewish priests, whenever somebody would have a disease, and uh, let's say that their house was infected, well, when that house was proven to be cleansed, the priest, the Jewish priest at the time, would take hyssop, which looks like a kind of a bushy weed type thing, and he would dip it in blood and sprinkle it throughout the house as a symbol that it's clean. But notice what David is asking here. Purge me with hyssop. Who's he speaking to? He's not speaking to a Jewish priest. He's speaking to God. He's not asking for a religious leader to come and, and pronounce him cleansed. He's like, God, I need you. I need you to pronounce me clean. You know, I, 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 I need your cleansing. This is a great place to mention 1 John 1.9. If you don't have 1 John 1.9 memorized, please, for your own sake, memorize it. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? This is what God does for us. He cleanses us. And then the third thing is we need to acknowledge the sinfulness of my sin. Let's look at verse 3 and 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me? Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Did I say three through five? I'm sorry. Let me, let me back up there. For I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. That's what I was missing. My sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. And then he talks about, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He, you could tell, and, and like I mentioned earlier, when he thought that he, was, uh, he wasn't caught, that he got away with it, you could tell it was weighing on him. Have you ever done something, and you come to regret it, and you just can't get it out of your mind, and it's like this movie playing over and over and over again? That happens, if, if, that's, if that's where I'm at, it usually happens while I'm mowing my lawn, you know, some kind of work that doesn't take a lot of brain power, and I'm just thinking and thinking. It's like, oh, oh, I just can't get it out of my head. Or, you know, when I'm trying to go to sleep, and I, it just enters my mind because I know this thing ain't right. And it, it was like a, a bad movie playing in David's mind. It's like, this: my sin is ever before me. I can't stop thinking about it. And God 
only you can help me to move on. And he says, against you, you only have I sinned. Now, we know from this story that he wronged Bathsheba. He wronged Bathsheba's family. He wronged Uriah. He wronged Uriah's family. He wronged the kingdom. He, he, did things, he, did, he did that thing that was against so many people, but at the end, he says, against you, you only, God, have I sinned. Now, why is that? Well, I think it's because sin is only sin because God says it's sin, right? This morning in the, the Bible study, uh, Pastor Toby was saying, uh, you know, even, even unsaved people know a certain level of right and wrong. You know, why do we... You know, why do we not do something? Well, because we all know, you know, this, this kind of cycle, but there, there's not always an acknowledgement that it's wrong because it's against God. Well, that's why it's wrong. Because God says, these things are right, these things are wrong. So even though he did this against those people, ultimately, his sin was against God. And like my point says here, acknowledge the sinfulness of my sin. What we need to do in these moments is stop trying to uh, give ourselves an out, uh, give ourselves a pass card saying, well, God, you know I'm kind of prone to this. You know, you know, I was brought up in a family, and, you know, my dad did this, and, you know, I kind of saw this, and it's kind of embedded in me. Uh, all those things may have influences, but going off of David's example, there was none of that. There was no self-justification whatsoever saying, you know, because I'm bent this way or I've got some natural tendencies or natural desires, uh, God, this is, you understand, right, God? There was none of that. God, against you, you only have I sinned. I need your cleansing. I need your mercy. In fact, he goes on to say, in sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, there was never a time that I wasn't a sinner. But even that... He didn't use it as an excuse. God, you know that I'm part of the human race here. Come on, you know, give me a break. None of that. You know, there was never a time that I was a sinner, but I'm not using that as an excuse. The fact, or saying I was born this way, he didn't use that. Our innate corruption will, will be intensified if it's, not how, if it's not somehow subdued. Okay? And then in verse 6, it says, Pursue truth. In my inward parts. When we fall into sin, it's because our inward parts are corrupt. And we need to really look on the things of the heart at that moment. In verse 10, let's, uh, let's read that. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David wants more than just forgiveness. When we're weighed down with our sin, and we, we want that, that cleansing and that mercy, um, if it's simply so that we feel better, that's not good enough. He's saying here in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He's praying for renewal. He wants to be back at that place where he is so effective for God, he's so close to God, um, that you know, he just has this close relationship again. So I, I, I want us to look at six ways that David passionately commits to being changed. Six ways that he commits to passionately being changed. Now, what this is not, let me just clarify. This is not David saying, okay, God, I solemnly swear I'll do better. I'll promise to do better. This is David saying, God, you are the changer, and I'm the change-e. You are the one that can do the work of changing, and I'm the recipient of that change. And here's the ways that I want God, I want you to change me. He pleads with God to confirm his salvation. 
Let's look at verse 11 here. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take, me, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. This is not teaching that we can lose our salvation. I believe, I believe he was at such a place in his life that he was even questioning whether he had a relationship with God to begin with. Have you ever been there? To where it's like, you know, how am I so far away from God? Am I even saved? And it's at that time that we need to ask God, God, show me, confirm to me that I do have the Holy Spirit living within me. And uh, we looked at 1 John 1.9, or I, I quoted it earlier, uh, 1 John 1.7, a couple of verses before that, is an if statement. Because sometimes we need con- confirmation that we're his. And uh, 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. So number two is he prays for a clean heart and a right spirit. We already read that. He doesn't want to go on basking in sin. He wants, he wants God to come in and cleanse him, not just to forgive him for the act of violating that thing that one time or that two times or those three times, but he wants cleansing from that. And then let's look at the third thing. He prays for joy in his salvation. Let's look at verse 12. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. I think this is a critical, critical point here um, in, in learning how, how, to get, how, to, how to get right with God. Note, if you've got your Bible open there, scan down through Psalm 51 and find a reference to sex, find a reference to murder, find a reference to lying, you don't, you don't see that. He, he, had, uh, you know, he did all those things, but he doesn't even mention that. Instead, he, he gets to the core of the issue that he needs mercy, he needs cleansing. And here, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I believe that when we lose the joy of our salvation, that's when we're most vulnerable to sin. I, I, I believe that David... Recognize that as well. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And when you have, when, when we realize, and for those of us that have been saved a while, it's easy to fall into the trap of, it's just commonplace. This is something that took place before. Uh, I go to church a lot. I hear about it all the time. It's very common, right? Um, but when we realize that if we did not have Jesus Christ to save us, if we don't have the Holy Spirit living in us, what our condition would be at that point? When we forget that, we lose our joy. When we remember that, we have that joy. And sometimes bad things will happen to people and, and we'll comment to one another, boy, I don't know how they would do that as an unbeliever. Have you ever said that? We've, Darlene and I have said that before to each other. Oh, I don't know how. And that's that joy that we have, that joy. Even, even through difficult situations, you have that joy because you know what you've got in salvation through Jesus Christ. And when that joy fades, that's when I start to sin. Then let's look at the next one. Um, he asked God to overflow his joy into praise. You see, praise is the natural outpouring of that joy. This is, this, this is what joy in God does. You know, Unless there's an obstacle that needs removed, the joy that we have 
results in praise. Now, why is it so hard sometimes to speak to my coworkers about my faith? Why is it so hard sometimes to speak to my family about things that God has done for me, to speak to others? Why is it hard to praise God with my lips when you know, God does good things or he has done such a marvelous work in my life? Why is it so hard? You know, there, we should have that joy welling up inside of us to where it comes out as praise. Then the next thing is, he commits to having a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oops, I, I skipped one. I'll come back to that one in a second. He prays that the result will be evangelism. Let's look at verse 13. Then will I te- teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. You see, David wasn't content just to have his sins taken care of, to experience mercy himself, to have cleansing himself. He wasn't content until it resulted in other people coming to know the Lord. He wanted it to result in evangelism. And then the next thing is he commits to having a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Let's look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, a broken spirit, it's easy to understand that when knowing the story of David, when he was caught, when he felt regret inside of his heart, and he confessed that, that he had a broken spirit and he had a contrite heart, you know, a heart that was, that was humble before God. It's, un, it's easy to understand that during that moment that he had that broken spirit and that contrite heart. But I want to propose to you that we should always have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Always. Because we're always fighting with sin, and we're always to, uh, we're always saved because God and His mercy keeps us saved. So we should always have that broken spirit and that contrite heart, always being ready and willing to confess sin. Now you may say, well, if I have a broken spirit and a contrite heart, that means I'm going to be a pretty miserable person. Well, not when you balance that out with the joy that we have in knowing that Jesus Christ has saved us. So, so joyful, broken, broken heart, yet always joyful. That's the balance there. So I think we need to join David in confessing when we've messed up. And we need to thank God for his power to restore us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the lesson in Psalm 51. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, uh, work in our lives, Lord, that we may be ready to confess sin and forsake sin, and that we would go to you for mercy, go to you for cleansing. And and Lord, we know that you're faithful to your word, that uh, when we call upon you to have mercy, that you are obligated by your own word uh, to have mercy upon us. Lord, I pray that you would bless Uh, this invitation, speak to hearts, and just lead us into uh, what you'd have us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.